Hey, welcome to the Coffee Chat Podcast. This week's guest is Aya Grant. Aya is a dancer and hairstylist with experience working in Vancouver and London. In this episode, we chat about Aya's journey as a dancer, her transition to being a hairstylist, and some fun rapid-fire questions where we ended up talking about the recent Cats remake. So grab a coffee and enjoy. Welcome to the Coffee Chat Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Exciting. <laughs> um, okay, so basically, let's just start with you introducing yourself. And I guess we'll start with you as a dancer. So if you just want to tell the world your kind of journey into dance, how that started. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> um, so my, my journey into dance started in Fort McMurray, Alberta, where I grew up. Um, I, you know, we kind of did what most small town kids did, where it's like, I'm going to do ballet. And then I completely fell in love with it. And then I started doing everything. Um, I did a lot of kind of programs away from Fort McMurray, um, with Alberta Ballet, Royal Winnipeg Ballet, BC Ballet. Um, so ballet kind of became my whole life and then puberty hit and it was like, oh no, you're curvy. Um, so I had to kind of look at my dance journey and be like, okay, let's, uh, figure out what other kind of styles there are. So moved to Vancouver. I started working with the, um, uh, Lee Trilage and the Candy Girl Cabaret. Uh, and I became one of their principal dancers. Uh, so I did that for a few years, um, and then I started working with Burlesque Beauties, um, which it kind of led me into my Army of Sask life as well, kind of further down the road. Um, I did TV shows, music videos, movies, but my favorite were uh, live performances, um, and that's kind of what brought me to moving to London, England, where I was there for a little while, performing um, in Soho in London. Um, and then, unfortunately, an injury, like all dancers get, uh, kind of forced me to uh, put dance on the back burner for a little while. Um, but then when I moved back to Vancouver, I took a dance class with the Army of Sass, and after that class, uh, Shay came up to me and immediately asked me to start teaching. <laughs> like you only saw me in one class. <laughs> um, and that's how I kind of started teaching with the Army of SAS. And uh, I've, uh, I was teaching in Vancouver. I've recently moved to Victoria and I'm hoping when the world gets back to normal that uh, I can start going into hopefully opening up a, an Army of Sass Victoria location. Yeah, because I mean, that's, I mean, that's how we met. We met through Army of Sass. Um, you actually taught my first session with Army of Sass and inspired me to keep going with it. And I'm still doing it. So that's exciting. Um, I guess I would, so what age did you start dancing? Like, did you know when you were like a little fetus or did you like start a little later? <laughs> I mean, from a fetus, I was definitely like an attention grabber. Like. <laughs> I would put on little like performances in my living room, little magic shows. If there was like a camera, like anywhere in the vicinity of myself, I would immediately like stand in front of the camera and start doing things. 
Um, I didn't actually start dancing until I was 11, I think. So I was actually kind of a late starter into dance. But uh, I mean, once I once I took my very first dance class, it was like, okay, so this is, this is it. Because I mean, in ter- yeah, so starting dance like later, because I know I honestly, one of my things, I always wanted to be a dancer. Um, but I just never did it when I was younger. And then by the time that I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I was like literally a teenager and I was so scared to like go to dance classes. So I just never did it because it was just an insecurity thing. But for you, did you ever have any like, you know, especially starting at 11 and then being in the Vancouver dance scene, did you ever have any like doubts or, you know, dancing with people who did start when they were younger or you were just like, whatever, get to do me. For me, it wasn't an age thing. For me, it was an opportunity thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, small town, I, I wasn't, I wasn't that insecure dancing at my own studio. But because I did a whole lot of auditions and workshops and intensives and things like that away from my studio, I was always kind of doing it on my own. So I would walk in to an audition where everybody knew each other. Every single other dancer knew every other dancer in the room. And it would just be me like doing my little butterfly warm up in the corner because I was, I was there by myself. And so that happened quite a lot where it was just me. And I often felt really insecure kind of, starting out like you know walking into the room and literally just relying on myself um so I definitely there was a lot of insecurities every time I would start doing anything um obviously just because I was by myself um Mm -hmm. but then once I was able to start moving and start letting my ability kind of speak for me um that kind of went away but yeah every single time I'd walk into a room and nobody would know who I was I would know nobody and I was there you know a lot of the time uh living away from my family living with complete strangers um you know so I, I I had I you know my mom was always a phone call away but the insecurity of like what am I doing why am I living with strangers why am I doing this you know two-month course that, you know, I, I don't know anybody, what's going to happen. So there's definitely a lot of that when I was younger, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Which I think any, you know, creative can relate to um, is, yeah, just that feeling of like, oh my God, what am I doing? And why am I still doing this? You know, especially when, you know, you're not always like booking or getting gigs. It's, it's tough. <laughs> um, well, I guess so let's just I really want to touch base on your journey to London because I think that's so cool um so how did that happen for you and yeah how long were you there for so I was there just shy of two years yeah it basically happened when um my boyfriend now my husband um (laughs) and I were we just kind of sat on the couch one day and we both kind of looked at each other and we're like let's go on an adventure. Like, let's, let's try some, let, let's, let's do something big. He was ready to do a move in his career. 
I knew that, you know, being a dancer, you only had so many good years mm -hmm. per yeah. day. And I wanted to see what else was outside of Vancouver. And um, so we kind of started looking at the possibility of, of maybe making a move. And uh, he's a dual UK Canadian citizen. Um, and he had lived in London uh, when he was in his early 20s. So he was familiar with the city. And uh, it kind of, kind of all started working out where I started researching Obviously, London is a huge performance hub, and I started kind of looking into it a few different things, and we kind of made the decision that yeah, let's uh, let's sublet our let's sublet our condo and let's move to London, England. <laughs> and uh, when we first got there, we were living in a tiny little flat. Well, we were it wasn't even a flat; it was an Airbnb. Yeah. Well, we were looking for a flat, and we didn't know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh it was definitely a, a pretty strong relationship builder right off the get-go well you guys are still together you're married now so that worked out <laughs> worked out but uh yeah I, I started taking immediately started going to pineapple dance studio which was the big the big dance studio in london and um I just kind of started taking a lot of classes and introducing myself and passing on business cards. And that's when I heard of um, the Finger and Pie Cabaret. Mm -hmm. And um, basically they, the way that they held auditions um, was that you, one of their shows a month, they gave you five minutes on stage, up to five minutes on stage. And if they liked you, they kept you. But if they didn't like you, you got your one shot on, on stage. Oh, wow. Uh, so I, I applied and I got an audition and they ended up liking me. So what did you do? Like, what did you have to do for the audition? I basically like the, this kind of style cabaret was anything goes. So <laughs> there were singers, there were jugglers, there were contortionists, there was a sword swallower from Edinburgh she was amazing there were mimes there was you know acapella group there was you know burlesque dancers basically any kind of talent that you had uh would welcome it in this cabaret show and so for the audition show um it was you yeah you you were given a spot a time slot and mm -hmm. You know, you had your, your up to five minutes to do what you do. And um, I knew that I needed to, I knew that five minutes for a solo was way too long. So I didn't use my whole five minutes, but I knew that I needed to make, I think I, I think I chopped it down to three minutes, but uh, I basically took a mashup of like my favorite three numbers that I've ever done and like swished them together and that's what I did for my audition. And, uh, oh my God, it, it, it worked out. <laughs> what was, cause yeah. So in London, it was like burlesque dancing. Is that like your, that's your style, right? I don't want to get this wrong. <laughs> kind of, um, it, it's, it's called a lot of different things kind of nowadays. Um, I always call it uh, cabaret burlesque is what I kind of go with where it's not, it's not kind of classic kind of art of the tea style burlesque. 
a nouveau burlesque is the other is another kind of word for it um yeah just incorporating a lot more classic style broadway style jazz and that into other like kind of classic burlesque striptease kind of um styles yeah which you're so great at um and i can you please teach more like workshops please please just for me <laughs> just me okay. it's a selfish thing <laughs> well i'm hope like i said hopefully when the world gets back to normal um we can i can come back over to vancouver and do a couple workshops so yeah i mean how did you find um because i i guess most of your career was doing this like burlesque that was like i mean would you say i guess how did you find out that was your kind of niche or your style that you were like oh yeah this is this is what i'm making a career out of or did it just happen and you were like okay i'm dancing like this uh a little column a little column b my parents um always had like you know the jesus christ superstar album playing um the cats soundtrack was always playing so my parents listened to a lot of kind of broadway yeah and because of that we also like watched a lot of like shows on um i remember cbc used to show like the original recording or original videos cast from mm -hmm you know, 1986, you know, Cats the Musical London on, you know, on CBC every six months kind of thing. So I'd watch a lot of that. Um, and so when I came out to Vancouver, when I was 18, yeah, I was 18, yeah. and Vancouver just for a summer program, and um, I did the Harbor Dance Studio Intensive. Mm -hmm. And while I was doing that, I, there was one of the classes of, uh, available was Broadway Jazz with Lee Torlage. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. Yes, Joy. <laughs> so I, so I, I, I started doing it. And within the first class, it was like, this is it. Like, this is the style that I've been looking for my whole life <laughs> and uh, so I immediately fell in love with doing Broadway jazz really fell in love with her she was like she she wanted perfection and she knew people weren't doing all that they could do and she'd call you out immediately on it and I was like oh my god yes I need this kind of like background yes um, and then when I, at the end of that kind of summer, I saw that she actually had her own dance company and she was the um, director of a company called the Candy Girls. And I was like, I wanna, be, I wanna do it. And, but you had to be 19 and I wasn't 19 yet. So I went back to Fort McMurray. I bartended in this bar called Cowboys. I was a shooter girl, um, but a lot of money really quickly because I needed to get out to Vancouver ASAP. And a month after I turned 19, I moved out to Vancouver okay. and I was poor as dirt, but I took every single one of Lee's classes that I could. Um, I kind of stalked her a little bit. <laughs> I found out that the kind of um, cabaret 
lounge restaurant that her and her husband owned needed a bartender. <laughs> so I just kind of like went up to her one day. I was like, I heard you need a bartender. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I wasn't a bartender. I was a shooter girl, but I lied. Um, you got to do what you gotta do. <laughs> right? Yeah. And she's like, okay, come work behind the bar. <laughs> so I was bartending whilst taking her classes and all of her intensives. Um, and then finally she was like, okay, I'll give you a shot on stage. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was, I did two numbers in the Candy Girl show. Like <laughs> I did the first number and the last number, like that was it. Like I was on stage for maybe four minutes in total, but I like lived that four minutes. And uh, eventually I just kind of kept working and proving myself and she made me a full member of the company and I I did that I, I basically worked my way up the ranks until I kind of got into the principal dancer stage of it how long so, were you dancing with them for or is that like yeah so I started with the candy girls when I was barely 19 and then because it took it took about two three months before I got my shot um and then I've basically been dancing up until I moved away to London so oh, wow. that was in 13 so from 2008 to 2013. Oh damn what would be um <laughs> like how many years what <laughs> it's like I can't math <laughs> um I guess like because yeah you would have had all this experience dancing do you have like a an, like a what's the word like a your favorite on stage story or favorite performance like no but choose one <laughs> i mean there are a ton there's definitely a few that like i mean through doing that like a lot of people think that you know dancing for celebrities and dancing for thousands of people and stuff like that that that's what you would remember but for me it was things where like there was one number in the company when I first started out that only like the best dancers got to do. Um, and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't about movement. It was about the emotion behind the movement. Mm -hmm. And um, for a long time, I was not allowed to do this number and I didn't understand why, because it's like, I know the moves, like I can, I know the moves behind it but I didn't understand the emotion behind it. And so I, I didn't look good doing it. And that's why I wasn't allowed to do it. And then one day it just kind of clicked where I understood kind of the backstory and the emotion and the narrative that needed to be expressed throughout the movements, not just doing moves. And uh, so the first time I ever got to do Roxanne with the Candy Girls was like uh, a huge moment for me. Yeah. And the moment that I finished my first show in London, like, you know, the mu like oh. music's done, I, I hit my final pose, and then like I walk off stage. And it was this moment where it was like, I just performed in a famous cabaret house in London, England. Yeah. And I'm from Fort McMurray, Alberta. <laughs> so there was, it was definitely that kind of like, okay, I've made it now.
like mm-hmm. now now like I've 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 achieved I've achieved my dream kind of feeling. Oh, that's so. so that's amazing. I still like to this day think it's amazing that you danced in London and you can like say that like that's and that's so inspiring that you also like you went there and I think that's amazing that you kind of just you did it like you knew this is what you wanted to do and you did it. So well done to you. <laughs> um, do you have an embarrassing on stage moment like something that's memorable for you? Oh, I mean, I've had tampon strings show when they really should not have been shown. Um, Did you I've, realize until after? You're like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. It, it was definitely one of those, like, you, you're you're doing it and then you look out and you see, like, the director, like, your other people, and they're just like... <laughs> oh, my God. ...motions. Um, but, I mean, we, we all figured out very quickly to, you know, help each other out and do a little quick check before going on stage with that (laughs) worst thing that ever happened though was there was a move where you were on your knees and then you needed to like bang onto the ground and like flip your head down at the same time yeah and I was really into it and I ended up smacking my head so hard on the stage that I actually gave myself a concussion and chipped my tooth. So for for a good half of the number, I was just kind of staggering, uh, like my body still remembered what to do, but like my eyes had gone blank, my ears were ringing. Um, So, but I, I finished the number somehow. You just, honestly, you just do what you gotta do. (laughs) Like, it just happens. But, like, the, I I didn't live that one down for a little while, where I actually concussed myself, because I got so into it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, I love that. Um, Okay, so, I want to talk about, because now you're an amazing hairstylist. Um, You do my hair, so thank you. Um, I guess, yeah, because you kind of touched base on before that you, the reason that you kind of transitioned into hairdressing was because you, like, injured yourself and, you know, in the dance world, it's, you know, it's not great. Um, but what made you choose hairdressing? Like, why, why hair? I was lazy. Um, no, (laughs) I, I, Fort McMurray is a, uh, is very much a trades town, like, because I used to work out in the oil mines, and so I went to a trades high school, and unfortunately, the trades that were available for, like, options were slightly sexist, where you had, like, mechanics and woodworking and welding for, like, boys, and then you had sewing, cooking, and cosmetology for, like, the girl ones. Of course. And also you were like, they didn't stop you. If like, if I wanted to go into welding, they didn't stop girls from going into welding. But it was pretty like, boys, girls. <laughs> and uh, so I did cosmetology in high school. And I was like, I don't know, I can braid hair. Sure, for marks, great. Yeah. Um, I thought too much about it. Um, but then when I got injured in London, my flat was actually directly above an Aveda hair salon. And I really didn't like commuting 
<laughs> so I was like, you know what? There's a salon literally directly below me. Um, I can answer a phone. I'm a good people person. Why don't I apply there as a receptionist until I figure things out? Because um, I really, I, I tried bartending in London for like two weeks. I was like, Ugh, no. no. Um, so I kind of went in and applied for reception and they were like, okay. So they gave me a job behind the desk as a receptionist. And then a couple of weeks after that, they started training me as being an assistant. So washing hair, sweeping floors, um, you know, passing foils to people, uh, basically doing all the little in-between things. Um, so I did that for a little bit. And then I kind of started really vibing with everything that was kind of going on in salon life. And I, um, they started doing stylist training with me um while I was in London and I kind of got hooked on it because it a lot of things um mirrored what you needed to do in dance so there was a lot of um a lot of competition there was a lot of artistic ability and artistic um having an artistic vision and then creating it out of your mind onto another form um, there was a lot of personal drive to it. Like you were successful if you wanted to be successful in it. Yeah. Um, and it was also really social and I had, a, you know, done a lot of, uh, my life trying to impress people and make people happy and, you know, entertain people through dance. And so it was a little bit of that same kind of feeling. Yeah. So I kind of felt that I kind of spit in to the world of hair pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, so when I moved back to Vancouver um, from London, I was like, okay, yep, nope, this is, this is, I think, what, uh, what I want to do. And uh, I completed my training. Um, I've been with Strictly Aveda my entire career now. And uh yeah, I was working in, working in Vancouver as a senior stylist until I moved to Victoria. Yeah. And I'm working in a salon here, and I'm also an educator with Aveda. What's your favorite thing about hairdressing? Oh, um, when people cry. Like, <laughs> good tears. Sorry. When people cry, happy tears. Okay, I was like, context, please. Like, people come in and they're just like... <laughs> give them a haircut they're crying you're like oh thank god <laughs> oh I love that. that'd be a little bit of a sadist kind of thing like making people miss right <laughs> ruining their hair on purpose for your own enjoyment um no it's when people come in and they are really not happy with mm -hmm. themselves with their appearance and it's incredible how much someone's exterior appearance um affects their inter how they internally feel about themselves yeah and uh so when people come in and they really are unhappy with kind of who they are looking in the mirror um and then by having a full conversation with them asking them about their lives 
Um, a lot of times treating people like listening, just listening to what people have to say, treating people with respect and then cre using what they tell me to create something that really works for them and something that really changes their outside appearance and then seeing that immediate effect on what it does to their, how they feel on the inside. Um, and the, it, well, it's the greatest feeling. <laughs> all I do is, you know, I put some hair color on you and I cut some layers, but really the transformation is what happened in these two hours to the inside. Yeah. And yeah. Every, every time I see someone who is just completely genuinely changed by something that I did uh, to their hair is always, it's always quite moving. Oh, it's so nice when you're in a job that is, yeah, rewarding. And I think, you know, when you, when you found that, it's like, you know, okay, this is like what I'm meant to be doing. And, you know, it obviously makes you happy. So that's good. What would be, was there anything that was, you found, you know, I guess going from, you know, cause I guess dance and like, like it's all creative. So that's kind of like a smooth transition for you. But was there anything you found difficult? Like what's the hardest thing in hairdressing that people need to know? You're like all of it. <laughs> it's it's the same it's the same thing that i found in dance actually where um you get a lot of there's a there's a thing that happens when unfortunately when people are very have insecurities where a lot of the time they deal with their own insecurities by lashing out at people who have confidence mm-hmm and uh, so if you, if you are someone who is quite confident and you are, um, you show that confidence, a lot of times that uh, can affect people who are feeling rather insecure, but instead of um, like expressing and, and working on their insecurities, they just kind of turn into meanies. And instead of trying to get help to build themselves up, they would rather just knock you down in order to get you either on the same level as them or push you lower and get themselves higher. And uh, it's, it's, it's not a good way to go around things. And unfortunately, when you get into things where there's ego involved as well and dance and hair and stuff like that, where your creativity is being judged as well, those insecurities really kind of get to people. And so if they see someone who is you know, letting their creativity go, who have confidence in what they do. Um, it can really be uh, that, that, that kind of bullying can really kind of come out in people, unfortunately. And uh, it happened in dance, it happened in hair, it happens, you know, it happens really in, in any industry. But, um, you know, when you put out your work and, you know, you have the people that are like, oh, that sucks. Like, why would you do that? That's awful. Yeah. It's like, well, why, well, like, this is something that I put out there. Yeah. Um, aren't you putting something out there? Like, why are you just knocking me down instead of, you know, working on your own work and, you know, trying to make yourself better? Um, so, yeah, there's, a there's definitely a lot of that in the world of hair, where there's a lot of insecure egos that... Uh, kind of need to combat with yeah and it's so true it is it's an insecurity ego because I mean you know we all have egos and I think you know you can have 
healthy and you have to have a healthy amount of ego for sure let's let's say that but yeah, yeah. I feel you it's and I mean well how do you navigate that I mean you know going into hair even as a dancer dealing with those people that are like no you suck and you're like how do you how did you keep going um honestly I like having a good support system Mm -hmm. as as basic as that is um I've always had a very very strong um family that has supported me through absolutely everything like even when I was doing burlesque shows like my parents whenever they would come to town they'd sit like front row um they've always so always having a family that I could just kind of phone and bitch to and cry to and um you know how they'll push me kind of throughout no matter what like I've got a tattoo on my foot um (laughs) a phrase that my grandpa said when I was like 13 and I had someone tell me that I was awful and I was never going to amount to anything and I was wasting my parents money and I should give up now and uh you know so even my grandparents came from very strong um kind of support and I uh I found that support with my husband as well where he is the furthest thing from a performer he works in the IT world and is a super introvert um (laughs) So the idea of him getting on stage is like his worst nightmare. Like no go. <laughs> With me, everything that I did, you know, everything that I still do, yeah. it's, you know, he's very much not only supporting me, but helping me, you know, figure out how to get through there. And uh, also just tapping into like knowing that what you're doing is enough. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel as artists, there's this always this push where it's like, I'm, you know, like, yeah, I booked this gig, but I haven't, I'm not the lead in it. Or, okay, now I'm the lead in this, but it's only a smaller movie. Okay, now I've danced in this venue for this many people, but, you know, I was a chorus member. I wasn't the soloist. Mm. Yeah, there's always this thing where it's like, you, you reach these incredible milestones but, you know, there's always someone ahead of you. There's always one more thing. You know, we're not all going to get EGOTs. Like, <laughs> and, but, you know, even though we all want that drive. Um, yeah. So I think it, there's definitely a feeling of being like, you know what? I've got this job in this inc- for this incredible company, in this incredible venue, for this, you know, incredible event, whatever it is. Yeah. And no, I'm not the, no, I'm not the star, but... I'm still in this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this well. Like, I've accomplished this. And uh, so I think for me, it was always the thing where I was always happy with what I had, what I got. And it didn't kill the drive to have more, to do more, to, you know, get that soloist spot. But it kept me from the, yeah, kind of that, that crippling self-doubt that a lot of times can take your take you from having a drive to being a hindrance and things yeah I love that and I think that's so true like you know in my own experience I know a lot of people where I have friends where they'll book really great gigs and I'm like man like that's amazing but there's always this like follow-up thought of oh yeah I booked it but 
it's not this, it's not the lead. It's, and I'm like, you know, yeah, I think as creatives or anyone in this world, just being grateful for what you have and that you're doing it, you know? Um, so I love that. Okay, so let's answer some fun questions. This is my favorite part of the podcast. Okay. All right. Ready? First question. Who would yes. be celebrity best friend? My celebrity best friend would, I, I mean, I would love to hang out with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Ooh. I think Ooh. on Instagram, and he just seems like a really fun, just good person. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I'd also love to, like, go and have a pint with, you know, like, the, the, the basically all of the Monty Python guys. Oh, uh, I think hilarious um oh that'd be so good but yeah like i or like hang out with like josh gad or lin-manuel miranda be like oh let's just go hang out with all your broadway friends like let's just like, that'd be broadway community it would be amazing <laughs> um what is a trait that you dislike in other people You know when you like you talk to somebody and it it's you just want to have like a regular conversation but it immediately turns into like hi how are you it's so amazing to see you you look so good like that kind of overtly fake niceness yeah <laughs> it's like yeah like they don't yeah, I tell you, like, you're talking to someone, and it's, like, you just want to have a grounded, just, like, a, yeah, conversation, but it's, like, they, yeah, it's this over-the-top, like, oh, my God, how are you? And usually, they just want to talk about themselves. That's the reason that they're like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that very much, like, you know, just, just surface vapidness. It's, like, ah, okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like, get that out talking to you because it's not going to get any deeper than the porn skin. Like, <laughs> um, what would be, what would be something you would, you would tell your younger self? Oh, jeez. Um, don't, don't put as much effort into pleasing other people as you have yeah and I think that kind of goes along with my empathy thing where I, I I used to put people very high on pedestals and getting um getting praise from people that I would put on these certain pedestals was very important to me and not just in career like personal wise that kind of thing I um yeah if, if I really wanted people to like me <laughs> yeah and and that in in the pursuit of that i definitely compromised a lot of myself in that ambition um and so i think if i could tell myself you know little 18 year old aya before she comes to vancouver like yeah it's not about like these people that you're putting on pedestals a don't deserve to be on those pedestals and be what they think of you shouldn't be like your main objective yeah 
Yeah, no, I love that. I agree. And I think it's, I mean, I think that's like such great advice for anyone. And I wish I'd known that as well when I was younger. Um, and even now, because I think, you know, and I think I still do it. Well, not so much, but yeah, I think you don't have to please everyone. You just need to live your life, is what I think. <laughs> um, yeah, while we're here, okay, one last thing, because I think this Instagram live is going to kick me off soon. Um, what did you think of the Cats remake? <laughs> but, like, justify your reason. And I think this is a question I'm just going to ask everyone. <sighs> Because they took away the see, I'm gonna sound like such a prat when I say this, but they took away like the true essence of what the whole story is. And yes, it's a stupid story. Like there are a bunch of cats <laughs> that are competing against each other to go into a spaceship to go to God knows where. Like it is a weird premise for a musical. But, like, the whole point of everyone doing their little numbers to, to let you know why they deserve to do it is because you're supposed to feel for them. You're supposed to have, you're supposed to be like, oh, yeah, no, I think you really deserve this. Like, you, this is what you've done. And, you know, like, you know, let's see what else you got in your life. And with the Cats movie, it just made everything dumb and way too cheesy and took characters and took moments that are like you know really supposed to hit home and just glazed them over yeah so the, the actual emotion of the movie was is nothing compared to the actual show i, yeah. I totally agree and i mean cats is like honestly i mean and i love musical theater like i started in musical theater but Cats is like one of my least favorite musicals, personally. <laughs> no judgment. Favorite musical. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Oh no! What have What have I done? Like, <laughs> let me justify. Let me justify. So, like, I, okay, I respect it. I think it's great, and I definitely think, in terms of if we're talking about the movie, so if, okay, so if no one has seen like Cats the as a musical. People need to see that first before they see the movie because the movie is not, I'll give Cats that as a stage musical. It's like beautiful and I can appreciate it. I also think the reason why I don't like it is because I'm not a dancer and I could never be. <laughs> they would not cast me because I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> no, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely one of those, um, one of those one of those shows where there are there are dancers who can sing versus singers who can move. <laughs> I, I would like to say that at this point in time I like to say I can move well, which is a plus. So if anything musical theater does come up. Great. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Thanks. What's your okay? I'm a bad. Oh dear God, just like dance calls are not my jam. And that's like a whole, that's, oh, I've had many embarrassing ones, but it's not about me. So <laughs> what would be, so Cats is your favorite musical. What's then your next, are there any other, what would be, if you, okay, if you could be in a musical besides Cats, what would you be in? Probably Wicked. 
who wouldn't <laughs> right um or jesus christ superstar I don't think I've actually ever seen <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar in full. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Definitely watch like the 1970 something version. Uh, it has Ted, a guy named Ted Neely as Jesus. Um, it is like the best rendition off stage. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's great. Also, uh, mm, actually, no, I, I, I was going to say Les Mis, but I don't want to be in Les Mis. Because it's, well, I mean, I love watching Les Mis. I want to watch it all the time. But I think being in Les Mis just, you know, it's a misery the whole time. <laughs> like, I feel like it would be a depressing show to be in. Lamez would be, and Lamez is my jam, and I would be in it because, again, I don't have to dance. No, do I? No. <laughs> Wait. Do they? No, they no. don't. Sure, if you're in Master of the House, maybe, but. They move well. Um, yeah, I would be a Lamez, and I'd cry every night. Make, I'm going to make that happen, universe. <laughs> Put me in Lamez. Well, Instagram is kicking me off, so we've been here for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for joining me. Um, we'll have the episode up on Friday. And yeah, and I will chat to you soon because I need to get my hair done. So, but that's a private conversation. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, for having me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Coffee Chat Podcast. Feel free to follow on Instagram at coffeechat.podcast and share the love. You're awesome, and I hope you have a great day, night, or afternoon, wherever you are, and I'll see you in the next episode.